You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Well, hey, uh, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. You're doing well? Did you wake up and go outside and you're, you're thinking, what's happened? Uh, what's happened out here? Is the apocalypse come? Like, what's, are we, are we um, going into the ice age? Or are we going to all burn up? Anyways, uh, uh, well, good to have you here. If, if I don't know you, my name's Brian. I am the lead pastor here, and just a real honor to have you um, in this space. And so we're, we're actually uh, stepping into a new series um, as we're kind of coming to the back end uh, of the summer. And so uh, we just kind of walked out of um, walked out of one series and, and now moving into uh, another one. And so for the next four weeks, uh, we're going to be walking through uh, a couple of kind of various psalms and, and really, in essence, kind of looking at the, the richness of uh, the psalms. And so I, w- I would probably say um, of any kind of set of, of collections or writings in the Bible, perhaps even maybe outside of the gospel accounts, the psalms are probably the most well-known. Uh, in terms of if you, if you don't really know anything about church or uh, you're not really familiar with church or, or even reading the Bible, uh, you've, you've probably maybe uh, heard a psalm before or you've read one before or uh, you've, you've been at a funeral or a wedding or, or some type of situation where a psalm has been read. And, and there's really been this kind of fascination uh, with the book of Psalms really throughout kind of the, the history um, of the church. Uh, St. Augustine, he was one of the kind of the early church leaders um, he, he, he basically s- said this. He said, what is, there, uh, what is there that may not be learned in the Psalms? Martin Luther, uh, the, the, the German reformer, when talking about the Psalms, he says the, uh, the Psalms is like a little Bible in the summary of the Old Testament. Uh, he said, one verse of the Psalms is sufficient for the meditation of a day, and he who at the end of the day finds himself fully possessed in its sense and spirit may consider his time well spent. Ambrose, another early church father, uh, he, he said this when talking about the Psalms. He said, the law instructs, history informs, prophecy predicts, uh, correction censors, and, and morals exhort. In the book of Psalms, you find the fruit of all of these, as well as a remedy for the salvation of the soul. The Psalms deserve to be called the praise of God, the glory of man, the voice of the church, and the most beneficial confession of faith. Most beneficial confession of faith. Jesus, of course, uh, would have been immersed in the Psalms as a uh, Jewish man. Uh, he would have used the Psalms at his, as his prayer uh, book. He would have learned to pray using uh, the Psalms. Uh, the rule of St. Benedict, which was a uh, um, uh, historic set up various kind of monasteries, um, he, he uh, made the, the monks in his monastery read through, recite, hear or sing the psalms all the way through, so there's 150 psalms, um, every week. They would have to recite the psalms or sing through the psalms every week. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer uh, has a, a daily office, so it's like a daily check-in um, in which day and night you go through and you read all 50 psalms every month, right? So you kind of get in all 50 uh, within one month. Uh, John Calvin, when he was uh, reforming his church in, in Geneva, he made sure that his people sang the psalms. And so they would put the psalms to music. Uh, they would sing them all the way through at least twice a year. So when he was kind of 
in moving through the reforming kind of movement inside of his church, one of the main kind of books or one of the main resources that he used in trying to draw people back to the heart of God and back to kind of a confessional faith uh, was, the, was the book of Psalms. He would put it to music. And so you can just kind of look back in church history, scripture, uh, kind of historical fathers and mothers of the faith, and they're all elevating the Psalms to a really significant place. And so the question is, why? Like, what is it about? Is it just kind of this moving, encouraging type of thing? Um, or is there something kind of deeper and, and richer going on? And so I, I want to do this kind of on the front end. So we're, we're calling this series uh, Songs for the Season. And so we're going to look at various psalms that will match uh, different seasons that we tend to land ourselves in. But I just want to, on the very front end, give us uh, really two reasons why I think the psalms have played such an important role in the history of the church and why I think they're such an important thing for us. Uh, so the first reason why the psalms are important is I, I think they give us a real picture of God. Um, left to ourselves, we tend to create an incorrect picture of God. Um, we, we would create a God that we understand. We would create a God that we can control. We would create a God that thinks like us, that acts like us, that has our kind of emotional balance, you know. Uh, we, we just, if kind of left to our own devices, we tend to be a people. We could all agree with this. We can kind of see it. We would kind of create a God that we understand and that we can get our, our hands around. And when you get into the Psalms, one of the things that you'll uh, see is that you'll, you'll, you'll see a, a right picture of who God is. Um, you'll read things and it'll, it'll surprise you. It'll encourage you. It will um, convict you. Like, oh, okay, so, so God, that's God's wrath or, or that's God's um, goodness and kindness. Like we, we get a right picture of God as we're um, reading through the Psalms. The, the second thing that I think, the second reason the Psalms are important is because I, I think they give us a picture of what, ri- what life really looks like. When you, when you get into the Psalms, Calvin, uh, John Calvin writes this. Uh, he, he says, I've been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, um, the, uh, um, he, he basically says like the anatomy of the soul. So he's like, if you, if you want to know what the soul looks like, read the Psalms. He says, there, there's not an emotion for which uh, anyone can be conscious that is not there represented as in a mirror. And, and so what you'll do if you spend enough time in the Psalms, you'll see kind of the full range of emotions in the Psalms, in the book of Psalms. Um, you, you'll see people's response to various situations. Uh, and so if, if you want to understand the human heart, you read the, the Psalms because they kind of they give it to you. So in one moment, it can be this really encouraging kind of Psalm that you're kind of, you want to, you know, develop your whole morning around. And it's super encouraging and you, you just love it. And then the next psalm that you read, it's like, I'm in the depths of despair. Where are you, God? Oh, you've left me. I don't even, you're not even real. You know, it's just, you're going to have this whole range of the human emotion. And the thing that I've always appreciated uh, about the psalms is it just gives you a picture of what real life is like. That even those who walk with God experience a type of difficulty. They experience a type of confusion and hardship. Uh, and and they, they have real questions that they bring to God. Uh, that they just say, hey, I don't, I don't, I'm in the midst of this and I don't understand it. Not just I don't understand it, but I'm frustrated. Not just I'm frustrated, but I'm angry. And not just that I'm angry with a situation, but I'm angry with you. 
And so it gives us a picture of this kind of full range of emotions in, in thinking about people. So, so here's what we're going to do the next four weeks. These are the four categories that we're going to operate out of as we think about the Psalms. There's a lot more that we could do, but we just don't have the time for it. Uh, so the, we're going to look at the Psalm as a wisdom, the Psalm as thanksgiving, the Psalm as lament, and the Psalm as uh, repentance. So wisdom, thanksgiving, lament, and repentance. And this morning we're going to be looking at wisdom. And so uh, what are the Psalms? They're basically a collection of about 150 Hebrew uh, poems. Uh, there's roughly about nine authors. David uh, wrote about 73 of the Psalms. So King David, who was considered the, the greatest king of Israel, wrote 73 of them. Uh, 49 of the Psalms, we're, we're not sure who to attribute uh, authorship to. Uh, but we know that there's at least nine authors that we can uh, identify. The initial arrangement of the Psalms, the Psalms were arranged in five different kind of group uh, categories. When you, when you break them up, you can see them in five different group categories. And then Psalm 1 and 2 is actually fascinating. They're, they're actually placed outside of those five categories, and in many, way, in many times they're combined, although in our Bible we tend to separate them. Um, so five categories, and then Psalm 1 and 2, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 1 this morning, but Psalm 1 and 2 are, uh, typically will be either combined, but almost always they're separated from the other five categories in the book of Psalms. Okay, let me pray for us, and we'll dive into the psalm that we have for this morning. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that we have um, access to you uh, through them, that they're one of the means by which we know you, Father. And so would you help us this morning as we enter into this space? Really, um, all of us kind of have different understanding of, of who you are. We're all coming with different life circumstances. Things have been going on uh, around us, God. And so would you use the psalm this morning to teach us to look more like Jesus, to love you um, well, to love neighbor well? Father, we need your help in doing this. It doesn't, it doesn't come naturally to us to uh, want to live a life that's pleasing to you, Father. And so we just would ask that your Holy Spirit um, would bring about insight and discernment uh, this morning. Uh, God, as we read the scriptures, would the, would the Spirit illuminate this morning uh, so that we could be uh, transformed, not just from an informational standpoint, God, but at a deep spirit level, uh, we would look more and more like the life of Jesus. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Psalm 1. If you have a Bible, uh, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Pretty short uh, psalm here. I'll, uh, Don read it for us, but I'll just read it again, and then we'll, we'll dive into it quickly. Uh, this is what the psalmist says. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree, so we're going to see some imagery here. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams and bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Uh, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Okay, the, the thing that's fascinating about Psalm 1 for me, so most of the Psalms are written as prayers, but Psalm 1 is not so much a prayer as it is a statement about human experience, right? So most of the Psalms you can read as a prayer or take as a prayer. Psalm 1 really differentiates itself because it, it's really making a statement about human existence, right? And so 
if, you, if you're someone who wants health and stability, right, if, that, if that's who you are, if you're, you're someone who wants to experience life in a really kind of full sense, um, do you uh, despise instability? Are you frustrated with double-mindedness and uh, hi- hypocrisy, right? Some, what someone is going to do is it's going to give us a picture of two people, and it's going to make claims about human existence based on these two people. It's just going to give us this picture here. Uh, and, and, and it's basically going to say you, you have to make two decisions, or you, you, another way you can say it is there are two paths in life that you can take. Robert Frost in The Road uh, Not Taken, he said, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Jesus in Matthew seven thirteen through 14 says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. This idea of two paths, two directions, two roads, it's deeply embedded in the scriptures, but I would also say it's deeply embedded in life. So we have these two paths before us. And so someone is just simply bringing it to our uh, attention. Uh, one biblical scholar with, with the, the greatest name ever, uh, the greatest name ever, um, this is what he says. Someone deliberately draws out two portraits in our mind, the portrait of the wicked man and the portrait of the wise man. The question is then posed, which are we? As we enter the sanctuary of the Psalms to worship and petition the Lord, which side are we on? This is the question that Temper Longman puts forward. Solid name. Uh, if, you have a, if you have a kid, you should take that. All right, um, here's the first person that he says. The first person that he says, um, is there someone, and this is from Psalm uh, 1-1, is, it, is someone who's disconnected from the word. Now, notice, it, it's someone who disregards what God has said. So there's three identifiers here that it talks about. It says that um, wicked sinners and mockers. So if, if you're, again, if you're looking at that Psalm 1, it's going to contrast someone who's blessed or someone who's happy with someone who doesn't, uh, doesn't make company with these people. And it says wicked sinners or mockers. Now, a wicked is someone who would be considered morally backwards, right? So evil is good and good is evil. Uh, sinners would be referring to someone who misses the mark. So when we say uh, everyone has sinned, what we mean is everyone has missed the mark. Now, what was the mark? The mark from a scriptural standpoint is to perfectly love God and to perfectly love neighbor, right? This is what Jesus says. The law is summed up. In perfectly loving God and perfectly loving neighbor. So to be a sinner is to be someone who has missed the mark from doing that. None of us can say that we've perfectly loved God and we've perfectly loved neighbor. So that's what a sinner would be. Uh, and then a mocker would be someone who can't even appreciate goodness or beauty anymore. They've just become really jaded. And they have contempt for everything that is not like themselves. So it says, this is, the, the first person says, it's someone who's disconnected from the word. Now, one of the things that you'll notice if you're looking there at the scripture is there, there's a bit of a progression there that it goes from walk to stand to sit. You see that? Walk, stand, sit. And what, what the psalmist is trying to help us see is that this is, this is a, what kind of sin does. It, it takes us on this progression from just kind of, you know, walking 
and then you know you're kind of walking in the way and then then you're kind of just standing there in the way to eventually getting to a place where you sit down and you've made your life right your life is characterized by a life of sin of rebellion of doing your own thing kind of going your own way this is what um this is what sin does right it begins with a small kind of thing and it progresses and leads you to a much further place than you ever anticipated always it's always what happens i've never sat down with someone who has major things happening in their life major destructive things going on just all kinds of brokenness um and and it always starts with something small right um a, a lie just a um uh, a type of you know manipulation a little type of manipulation here and there that has just led now to a path of destruction this is what sin does so the psalmist says, those who disregard God's word, they start from walking to standing to sitting. Okay, so this is the first person. Second person, um, second type of person is someone who is happy or what the scripture would uh, consider blessed, right? So this is the blessed or the good life. Notice in Psalm 1, it says, how happy is the one, and then it says who does not. So it first gives a comparison between what... what um, Someone who's happy doesn't do these things, but then it tells us what the blessed one does. And if you notice in the text, it says, what does the blessed one do? It says, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So verse 2 says, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy in a, in, in a uh, full kind of biblical sense, um, it comes through listening to the words of God, and not just listening to the words of God, but meditating on the words of God. And we'll, we'll get to that definition um, in, a, in a moment. But it, but it basically says the thing that's going to differentiate these two people is one of these people delights in God's instructions and meditates on it. Um, th this idea of delight is a, is a really, I think, a really powerful idea S scripture reading let's we're thinking about scripture reading and i love scripture reading uh it's pretty required for my job and so i do it but i would do it if it wasn't required and i have a degree in scripture like reading all all this stuff right i love it scripture reading is not primarily about information intake and, and we can we can kind of address it that way um and, and, and it is important we do get information but it's not primarily or solely about information intake, but it's about um, experiencing the presence of God in the scriptures. It, it's about being with him. It's about participating with him. It's not a textbook, right? It, it is, a, it is a, a means by which we are participating and in, in living in the presence of God. And so every time that we come to the scriptures, we have an opportunity to, in that moment, be in the presence of God, experience who he is. Psalm 119, 97, the, the, the psalmist says this, How I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. Psalm 119, 103, How sweet your word is to my taste and sweeter than honey in my mouth. Psalm 119, 18, opens a prayer, right? Open my eyes so that I may be able to contemplate wondrous things from your instructions this is what it means to um, this is what it means to delight 
to be in the uh, presence of God. Not Again, not simply for information's sake, but to be in the uh, presence of God. Because I, I, I do think it's, um, we have more access than any generation has ever had in the history of the Christian faith to biblical writings, to commentaries. I can open my Bible software on my iPad right now and access over like over 2,000 resources about the Bible. Ridiculous, right? But, but I think we could all agree that more information for information's sake is not changing us. It's not making us look more like Jesus. We have more access than ever, but it's not, it's not information alone that is, is doing that. And so it, it says that um, to be a person who is going to be blessed or, or happy is one who is delighting in the scriptures. The second thing that it says, it says meditation. Um, now, meditation is a fascinating thing, right? Sometimes we, we think meditation is, is an Eastern, is primarily an Eastern thing, right? So maybe you kind of have meditation in mind for that. And I also would just say, um, you know, uh, Jesus came from the East. Anyways, all right, so, um, but let's talk about that. So what, what is meditation exactly? Um, you, you, it's probably something that you've participated in, whether you uh, uh, realize it or not. Um, think about it this way. Have you ever gotten a love letter from someone? Uh, have, have you ever gotten just a love letter from someone, right? And, and so if you have, I want you to think about it for a moment. If you haven't, I'm sorry. <laughs> this illustration breaks down for you. Um, but I'm sorry. All right, so think about you've gotten a love letter before, right? Reach deep. Or a friend letter. Okay, so you've got this letter. <laughs> All right. Um, what happens when you get that letter? You, you get it and you, you do what? You just... Again, doesn't matter how long it is, whatever. You just you just kind of look at it, don't you? You just you're just like you're reading it. You're you're like kind of looking through it, um, rolling it around in your mind. You're like, I just can't believe she said that about me. You know, you're just you kind of you're just like, oh, this is so this is incredible. What a beautiful writing, you know? Or you, this is this is what you do. You just you're just like, man, it's just like getting deep in you, you know, and you're just kind of rolling that thing around. You're like, oh, man, I'm such a lucky, lucky man, right? Or I'm a lucky woman, whatever. That, that is meditation, to just kind of allow something to kind of sit and to roll it over and over again in your mind. This is like what meditation is. It's this preoccupation with this, this thing that's in front of you. This, even if you don't have it with you, you're just kind of sitting in, in it. You're, you, you feel special. You feel cared for. E Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book called Eat This Book, which is a pretty clever title, by the way, and it's about Bible reading. Um, and he, he tells this story about his, his one day his dog was playing with his bone. He was chewing on his bone. If you have a dog, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But, and, and he says that his dog was like kind of growling over his bone. You know what I mean? Like you have that kind of dog, and you just know, don't get close to that dog. You know, don't let your kids around that dog. Anyway, so um, this dog is kind of growling and, and biting on it. And so he's watching his dog, and he's kind of going through this process with this book. And he says that one day he read uh, Isaiah 31.4, which says that the Lord is like a, a young lion growling over its prey. So he's, he's, he's seeing in, in Isaiah 31.4, the Lord is like a young lion growling over its prey, which is a terrifying picture, by the way. Um, and then he says that he, he, in that moment, he thought about the, the growling, kind of joyful playing of this dog with its bone. 
And then he says that he discovered a connection between Isaiah 31, 4 and uh, Psalm 1, 4. And he said that the Hebrew word for growl is the same word for meditate in Psalm 1, 4. So the Hebrew word for growl in Isaiah 31, 4, where it says he, like a young lion growling over his prey, is the same word for meditation in Psalm 1, 4, right? So I want us to think about this. It's a powerful metaphor as we think about the scriptures. So meditation then is like the practice of slowly chewing on God's word until it penetrates into our hearts. It's like this dog over the bone, slowly chewing on it. This is what it means to meditate on the scriptures. It's not a flyby. It's not a quick kind of thing. It's not a writing it down to, to teach it later. It is a sitting in, rolling in, chewing on type of meditation. This is hard for us. Rich Velotis, um, he, he states this about kind of our current cultural moment that we're in. He says, this consumption culture has profoundly influenced the way that we engage or don't engage Holy Scripture. Instead of slowly ingesting the truth of God's written word, we live on the surface of the text. We rarely settle enough to hear God's particular word to us in the particular season of our lives. So we're in the consumption culture and moment in society. And the psalmist says, to be one who is blessed, which, which essentially means to understand God, to be in the presence of God, to experience a, um, a type of blessing that comes through that, is one who delights and meditates on the scriptures, who slows down, who takes it in. So we have to, we have to fight um, against these things. Um, look, look what the result of, what, what's the result of, of following and meditating on the scripture? Psalm 1, 3 through 6. Look how he kicks in. He says, he is like a tree, this person who's, who's meditating and delighting, is like a tree planted by, beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Right? Then he says, so that's one. The wicked, he comes back to the wicked and says, they're not like this, they're like the chaff the wind blows away. And he says, they won't stand up in the judgment, uh, sinners in the assembly of the righteous, and then the Lord cares or watches over the way of the righteous and the wicked leads to, to ruin. So there's two pictures here. Right? The, the first picture is a picture of the, the, what we would say is the delighter. And the, the imagery that we get here is one as a tree planted by streams of water. Uh, one of the places that, have you guys ever been to the Harvard Arboreum? It's over in, so it's in uh, Jamaica Plain. Uh, it's kind of the JP area. And uh, it, it's, it's incredible. If, you, if you've not ever been before, you, it's the largest uh, collection of tree species in the world. And it's right at the Harvard Arboretum. So you can kind of walk in that area and, you know, take your girl or whatever, your guy. You know, maybe you get a love letter later out of that. Um, I'm just trying to help you out. So uh, we, we love, we, we'll take the kids there, you know, we kind of let them ride scooters or run around or whatever. And it's just this really incredibly beautiful uh, arrangement and, and setup of trees. And, and one of the things that you're not ever going to find, so if you were to roll over at the Arboreum, you're, you're not going to go to the Arboreum and see a bunch of dead, uh, fallen over, falling apart, withering trees. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to walk in there and see that. Why are you not going to see that? Well, you're not going to see that because they are in the Ritz-Carlton of Arboreums, right? Like that's not going to happen. 
you know, a whole team of people who ins are ensuring that the ground is healthy and cultivated around it, making sure that they're watered appropriately or not overwatered appropriately. Like they're making sure the animals aren't destroying it. They're, they're, they're caring for the grounds. And so when you walk into the Arboretum, you're going, oh man, look at that, you know, white oak maple from, you know, 1880 or whatever, right? You, you just, you're in, enthralled with this situation. And the, the reason that you are is because they're, they're being cared for. Uh, they're being um, ensured that they have health. And so the psalmist says that the one who delights in the Lord is like that. Right? Th this is what it says. It, it says that this word of God gives us health. That proximity to the word brings life. That, that no matter what's kind of going on and, and happening or around, that because of the close proximity to the flowing streams, it says that the tree thrives. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what's happening, right? Now, this is really important and really practical, this, this in a moment. Notice that it says that it bears its fruit in what? In season. It says in season and that its uh, leaf does not wither. What the author is seeking to convey here is that... Um, not every season is a fruit-bearing season. And the psalmist is trying to communicate that prosper there does not mean you will not walk through difficult seasons. Prosper there does not mean that your bank account will always be full. Prosper there does not mean that you'll have no relational tension in your life. Prosper there means... That regardless of what's going on around you, because your, your close proximity to the flowing streams, you will be deeply rooted in the truths of God, in the presence of God. This is why we stay close to the word. So this is why we're, we're in it. This is what it means to um, prosper, to, to be able to sink deep. This is why we, we, we stay in this. Uh, I have a picture. Go ahead and throw this picture up. That would be awesome. Okay, <clears throat> so I made this picture on the AI. On the AI. This was my first, my first one, right? Now, here's the deal. We got to take it back. We can't let Satan have AI. All right, so um, uh, I made this for real. I made this, typed it in. It, was, uh, it took a lot of artistic work on my behalf. All right, so uh, that's, that's the pitch. That's not a real picture. That's a, not a real picture. All right. So, um, we, dude, we were in the car. We went off. My kids, we were just creating every scenario we could think of. Mario on a unicorn riding through. All right. Anyways, um, that's the picture, right? That's the picture of, of someone who's in, in close proximity, is bearing fruit. There's, there's health. There's wholeness, right? And this is what it means to be someone who is in close proximity to the word. Okay, let's look at the second one here. Um, let's look at the second one. I can send you that later if you would like. to Just use it as your background for your, your phone. All right, um, the wicked. Here's the second one. You can throw that. Okay, great. All right, Psalm 1, 4 through 6. So we have the delighter is a picture of stability. The wicked is a picture of instability. I know you're waiting on the picture. It's going to be amazing. All right, Psalm 1, 4 through 6. It says, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Okay, the second illustration that the psalmist gives us 
says that someone who doesn't delight in the, the word of the Lord, someone who casts off the word of the Lord, is like a, a chaff um, that blows away. Uh, so think of a, of, a, of a threshing floor or um, like a threshing floor in Palestine at this point. Ba- basically, the way that it would work is they would, um, they would take the grain that they're, they're trying to harvest and um, they would, the, the threshing floors in, in Palestine would be on hills so they could catch the breeze. This is where they would place the threshing floor. And so what they would do is they would, they would bring the, the grain so it would be crushed by animals or it would be crushed by some kind of m- machine instrument type of situation that would, that would draw it out. And then they would, pitch the, they would pitch the grain and the chaff up in the air. And the chaff, uh, it says that the, the chaff would blow away. Again, this is why they would do it on the hill. And then the grain would fall. This is how, how they would get it. So they would, they would crush it with an animal or some kind of machine. They would throw it in the air up on top of a hill. So can you see this imagery, right? Throw it up on the hill, and the wind would come and, and blow the chaff away. And the psalmist says, the one who disregards God's word is like that. There's no stability. There's no health. Um, the New Testament talks about how to, to stay away from this thought and this thought, and, and people jump from this kind of, you know, conspiracy theory or this kind of conspiracy theory or this kind of thing, you know. And, and that's kind of the, 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 the imagery that we get, the metaphor that we get for someone who doesn't see the, the scriptures or the Psalms. We're talking about the Psalms as wisdom this morning, right? Who doesn't see the wisdom of the Psalms as useful and, and take those in. So they're, they're scattered uh, and then we, we know that they were, they were scattered, they were ga- uh, gathered up, and then they would be um, burned at the end. They said, this is what the wicked are like. You can go ahead and throw the picture up. This is, I made this one as well in my artistic ability. I know, I know. I'm an artist now. So um, anyways, uh, yeah, you, it, so it's this picture of like, uh, it's this picture of, of dryness, right, of, of the, the chaff. There's no green. There's no type of root system like that, that's not going to, um, it's not rooted, it's not going to stay, it's going to simply blow away because of a disregard for, um, disregard for God's word. Okay, thank you. You're good? Go with that? You can, you can take that, hang it up in your house, do whatever you like. All right. Um, we, we talk a lot about, let's, let's close it up here. So we talk a lot about the importance of addressing the question of who am I becoming, Right? So more and more, as you think about the Christian life, more and more you get away from what is right and wrong, although that's an important question. I'm not disregarding that question. But as you mature in your Christian faith, you get away from what is right and what is wrong, and you begin to more ask the question, what am I becoming by participating in this? What is this making me into? Right? That, that's, that's a really important question, that as we grow in our mature in our faith, um, that, that's what we're seeking to do. And so the question that you have to ask yourself this morning is, what type of person am I becoming as I move away from the scriptures or towards the scriptures? Am I becoming, as, as I move closer to the scriptures, am I becoming someone um, who has less anxiety, who has more of a calming presence? Um, who is more um, patient and kind with my friends or with my kids or with my spouse, right? 
Am, am I less prone to believe um, all, all assortment of things, right? Who, who am I becoming by drawing and getting closer to the scriptures? Or who am I becoming by drawing closer um, in, in, in building my proximity to? And Max talked a little bit about it last week in this idea of abiding. Um, but who am I becoming more and more as I, as I um, consume pop culture, as I consume um, kind of whatever is existing in the cultural moment? Am I becoming more like Jesus or less like him as I'm taking in uh, entertainment, our reading habits, our screen time, our news sources, all of these types of things? Um, what is it looking like? Uh, we, we want to see the world through the lenses of Scripture. E Eugene Peterson, he summarizes this perfectly. He says this as our as reading of the Scripture. He says, in our reading of this book, we come to realize that what we need is not primarily informational, telling us things about God and ourselves, but formational, shaping us into the true being. It is the very nature of language to form rather to inform. When language is personal, which it is at its best, it reveals, and revelation is always formative. We don't know more, we become more. We don't know more through information, we become more. And so if we're going to embrace the way of Jesus, it's a call to embrace the scriptures. It's a call to embrace the Bible, a full immersion of the scriptures. More so, hear me, more so than immersion in whatever the kind of cultural, kind of pop cultural moment is putting forward. And so the, the question is, is um, what are you... Like, what are you meditating on? What's rolling over in your mind as you, as you go throughout the day? Like, all of us are doing stuff, but what's, what's rolling over in your mind? What's informing that? What's informing it? If we want to look like Jesus, if we want to delight, if we want to be considered blessed, the psalmist says it comes through the Word, through meditating on the Scriptures. H how do we do this? Just how, how is it we become a... Um, how do we draw out the wisdom that someone is telling us to put forward? Uh, just really three practical um, suggestions that, that we can kind of just sit in um, as I think about how I meditate, how I delight in the scriptures. Nothing radical here. Um, the first one is a time. I have a unique time that every day that I'm getting in the scriptures. It's in the morning. It's ideally before my kids get up, right? Like I, I kind of have this, this period where I just know this will be my... I have different rhythms, but my morning time is my delighting time. So I'm not trying to get information. I'm not trying to get, you know, anything from the scripture. I'm just delighting and meditating in the scripture. That's my morning time. I've got more as I go throughout the day. Uh, but you find a time that works for you. Some people are in the morning. Some people are in the evening. Some people are in the nighttime. Uh, you have a plan that, that works for you. So as you're meditating on the scriptures, as you're reading the scriptures, uh, there's a lot of healthy plans and various Bible apps that are out there. Uh, I tell people to start with John, work your way to Ephesians, like there's just different things. Uh, I use an acronym called REAP, uh, R-E-A-P. It's, n again, nothing transformational, but uh, I read the text, so I'll sit in silence in front of it. I'll read it out loud a couple of times. 
um, kind of over and over again. Uh, I'll think through, okay, who's the author here? Why are they writing? Uh, the second thing is examine. So I go through, I highlight repeating words, I underline verbs, I, I'm just doing some of this work. I'm examining the, 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 the scripture, the text that's in front of me. Sometimes maybe I'm bringing in a commentary to help me understand something. Sometimes I'm creating an AI picture. All right, number three, uh, I'm working that one out. Okay, number three, application. Um, the, the question I tend to, to think about when I'm reading the scripture is, uh, do I need to start or do I need to stop something? The other question I tend to think about is, how, how should this change how I think about God, others, or myself? How should the scripture change how I think about God, others, and myself? And then the fourth thing is, is pray. So reap, read, examine, application, and prayer. I will pray back to God what I've learned. If you come to the prayer room, which we do on Wednesday mornings, uh, or the, the last Thursday, the fourth Thursday of every month, is that right? Yeah. Um, we do in the evening. Here's what you're going to find in the prayer room. You're going to get in the prayer room. We're going to put scripture, we'll have some music, we're going to put scripture on this, the screen, and we do something called listening and response in the prayer room. Listening is we put the scripture up, we put some questions that align with the scripture, and then we quietly sit there and meditate on the scripture. And we just sit there. And we sit there so long that it gets uncomfortable for everyone in the room, and that's on purpose. And you just sit there, and you just look at the scripture, and you think about it, and you meditate on it. And you just sit in it, this is why we do it in the prayer room, because we, we meditate on the scriptures. We don't, just pray this, we don't just pray the Psalms back, we just don't, like we're mad at, we're sitting in it, in an uncomfortable level, do you know what I mean? This is what we do. And then the third thing is, uh, I, it's something called rhema, so there are two, Greek words for word in, in Greek. One is logos, which is what John uses in John chapter 1. The second one is rhema, which means the sayings of Jesus. So when I read a passage of scripture, I will look at a passage of scripture and come up with a summary statement. So if you grew up in a charismatic church, you know what I'm talking about. So if you grew up in a charismatic church, they would say something like this. Say you were reading in the Ephesians passage about the armor of God, right? If I was reading it that morning, my rhema statement would be something like this, put on the armor of God. Now, if you're in a charismatic church, what would a charismatic church do? They would say, look to your neighbor and say, put on the armor of God. Let's all do it right now. Everyone look to your neighbor and say, put on the armor of God. No, we're doing it for real. Let's do it for real. You look to your neighbor and you say, put on the armor of God. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, some of you just kicked back, right, to childhood. Um, that's, a, that's a rhema statement. It's just a statement that helps you memorize what you read that morning. And so if someone asked me later that day, I would say, what did you read? I would go, what's my room? Put on the armor of God. Oh, I read about how uh, Paul says, put on the, the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness. The, the, right? It just, it's, a, it's, a, it's not rocket science. Right? So place, um, time, place, time, plan, and a rhema statement. If we're going to be a type of people who look like Jesus, we got to figure out how to get this right. And it's going to take a radical commitment from God's people to say, the most important source of knowledge, the most important way of formation in my life 
it, it's going to get increasingly more difficult and increasingly more important for God's people to decide that the scriptures are the primary way by which we'll be shaped. And it's going to take a commitment to say no to a lot of other things and say yes to the scriptures. So I want to give us a little bit of a response time, and then we'll take the bread and cup. So why don't you kind of hang out um, in your moment. You can close your eyes if that helps you. And, and maybe just this morning, maybe you just need to process through, okay, have I been disregarding God's word in my life? Have I just said, man, it's just something maybe you did when you were a kid, you embraced it, but you've gotten away from it. M maybe the first thing that you do when you get up in the morning is you grab, you grab the Apple News you grab the Wall Street Journal, you grab the New York Times, and, and you've just decided in the morning that's what you'll be shaped by.